From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in Modified, Prepared, Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha LaCroix, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are modding games and self-publishing must-haves. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. <laughs> so, Stephen, uh, news in your world? Yes, uh, Treasure Stack is, was at PAX. Was at PAX. Yeah, and we are also on the Switch. Hey, yeah, so, yeah, 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 super yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I had to keep that news held for a very long time. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I did a good job. And in fact, my brother would regularly like give me faces because he knew I was telling people. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't tell that many people though. It did get out. I don't think so. Yeah. You didn't say it on the podcast. I didn't say it on the podcast. Well, until now. Uh, right. <laughs> well, yeah. Which but, is, it's and enough. we're recording this now before the announcement. Don't tell people that. <laughs> well, I'm saying, I mean, we'll no, keep it under lock and key, but yes. like, you're very nervous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a, um, a, a, a snafu earlier uh, this week about the, the secret, but it did get out probably. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that's why I'm nervous. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the in the future episode, we could talk about like releasing games on consoles and stuff because mm-hmm. it's definitely interesting. Yeah, a whole lot of cool stuff. Right. You know, we talked about that last week. You know that. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> we talked about pitching it. Okay. <laughs> you just sound like it's totally out of context, but yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Because like, there's that's step one, yeah. and then we got to have because yeah, you because you've got this experience that is incredibly valuable, and now you're a little more free to talk about it. Yes. So that's really exciting. Yeah, yeah. We'll bring that up. Mm-hmm. Also, we did Clawbreaker Party. Clawbreaker. Yeah. So our um, our 100th episode uh, where we're sitting just came out. Yes. And in it, we say, oh, Clawbreaker's out now. Right. But what happened? It, it wasn't out yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, guys. We had some difficulties with Steam. Uh, well, Charles had some difficulties with Steam because he's doing a lot of the work for that. Uh-huh. Uh, and like uh, he had a hard time getting the Steam API to work on our game or something. There was like one final bug fix or something. There was, yeah, there was one thing. And then it had to go through the review process right. again, which is like a one-week thing. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, they got back to us pretty quick, and then mm-hmm. we could just press the button whenever and press it on the launch date, mm-hmm. the new launch date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was only actually a couple epi- uh, days after the episode went out where we mm-hmm. claimed it was out, that it yeah. actually was out. Yeah, so <laughs> that's why I didn't edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been correct after two days. Yep, yep. <laughs> Uh, but and the party itself was really fun. Yeah, there was a turn. It was two tournaments. Yes, <laughs> and Stephen got so salty. I, I did get pretty salty. <laughs> he um, got so salty that Charles had to give him a salt shaker. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm holding that. I, I we should take a no, we shouldn't take a picture of that. Never mind. Um, but yeah, it was it was really fun. I had a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like it was cool seeing people get extremely high over Clawbreaker. Yeah, uh, that was that was exciting stuff. So I mean, we know for certain now it's out. Yes. On Steam and Itch. Yes. So uh, go go break those claws. Do it. Ready? Fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we're also going to PodCon? Yeah. I <laughs> uh, yeah. I, think so. <laughs> I mean, I bought t- we bought tickets. Oh, yeah. That's right. So we're going to PodCon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Went, this is January, right? Yep. Of next year. And we're, we're not special guests or no. doing anything there, but we're just attending. Yeah. So if you <laughs> want to meet us and you're there, you know, yeah. us out, let us know. Yeah. Tweet at us or email us or mm-hmm. message on Slack or whatever you want to do. So PodCon is, a, this is its second year. It's, a, it's like a conference slash convention. It's kind of both, right? It's aimed yeah. at 
podcast fans and podcast creators. It's kind of a cool little hybrid. Uh, it's in Seattle. Yes. And it's in January. And we're all excited. Yeah. It's going to be real good. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> uh, should we talk about the, the, the Discord channel too? That we added the Nice Games Club Discord. Channel. Did we add one? I added one. Yeah. Whoa! Then yeah, we should talk about it. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, I was like, Stephen, we, didn't we learn to not promise things that haven't happened yet? No, it's in there. I swear. <laughs> yeah. uh, so on uh, the Glitch Discord, we have we have a Nice Games Club uh, channel now, and you can just post on there and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it should be more open because the MSP Game Dev Slack is great, but like it's for specifically for MSP Game Devs. So like, yeah, it's open. It's but open, it's open al- but it's also but, like, like who would want to join? It's really it's esoteric the, the stuff. Community here, so yeah. So uh, you can ch- uh, check us out on that Discord channel. We'll link to it in the show notes mm-hmm. um, and see us there. It'll be great. It'll be a good chance to like talk to more of our, our uh, listeners outside this community, which we've been really aching to do lately. Yeah, so, for sure. Because there's a, quite a lot of you. So Stephen, how is modding Skyrim going? <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Brilliant. brilliant. <laughs> Perfect transition. It's going great. I I I modded it yesterday too. I you know. You just you can just spend like five minutes just download the thing, check it, see if it works, and uh-huh. if it doesn't, then just see if it's a on. virus. See if it's a yeah that happens. <laughs> that doesn't happen as often as you think. Uh, <laughs> it happens at all? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think it's ever happened to me once. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure. But I, I recent, I, I don't know. Pretty, anyway, pretty sure there's probably maybe, something in there. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. So uh, if it isn't obvious already, my topic is modding. Um, and it's been, I've brought up modding a lot, I think, uh, over the hundred and so episodes we've talked about things because like I mod Skyrim a lot, um, too much probably. Yeah. I can't believe that we haven't talked about this yet. Right? <laughs> it has been a long time. Yeah. As big a thing it is in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't realize how big a thing it was in my life until I started typing the show notes for this. Yeah. Like I, that's a lot of notes. I think I typed up more for this than I did. Still for scrolling. Games. I'm still scrolling. <laughs> right. It's, I'm still scrolling. Oh boy. Yep. Yep. There we go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So let's let's define what modding is mm-hmm. so that uh, people know. Modding is it's slang for modify. It's really just changing like the assets of the code or assets or the code of a game uh, outside of what the developers initially intended. So like if there's like a level creator, that's not really a mod because like the developer specifically made a tool so you could specifically do things with mm-hmm. it. Whereas like Skyrim has create the creation kit where you can literally change the code and stuff. And they made the tool for you in Skyrim, but like you're still modding the game. Like, yeah, I, that's a, it's it. getting fuzzier because it's you, you almost disproved your, your point did. just there. Yes, because that's a lot of moddable games now are intended to be modded. It's true, and a lot of the ways in are provided to you by the developer. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's not a ton of games that are like specifically well, intended to be modded, but like like it's the difference between modding Skyrim with the Skyrim modding tool and something like Mario Maker. Or you're like yes. making levels and that's yeah, part yeah. of the game. Right. Yeah. Whereas the average user isn't going to modify Skyrim. Right, right, right. And you have to download something separately. You do, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a whole process. It's kind of obnoxious. <laughs> uh, it's a fuzzy line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And of course, I mean, really all the like those more modern tools give you is the way in. Right. You still have to do the work of the actual modding. Yes. So it's not like... You know, I mean, I'm thinking about like back in my day when it was, it was a lot harder. <laughs> oh, yeah. But like, uh, you know, it's still it's still a lot of work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even with like games, most games do not like officially support modding. Right. And it's really difficult to get into those games unless you know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, there are more tools available now than there were in the past, but like it's still really hard to do that. Mm-hmm. And you have to know what you're doing with it. Yeah. 
Uh, I also I want to talk about like the different kinds of modding because there's a bunch of different types. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like skin swaps and model swaps. Those are really easy to do because you just literally change assets in the in the folders of the game. Yeah. Uh, most of the time. Uh, and that's just like you know making Mario's hat yellow or something. Yeah. Or uh, uh, giving your character a completely new outfit or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then there are level mods or user created levels, which are not really mods, but like I put it in here anyways because they're kind of like mods. Uh, you just like you know you build your own levels and stuff like uh, a new Tony Hawk Pro Skater level, and you can skate around the Eiffel Tower or something. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's in any of the games, right? It probably is, but, <laughs> yeah, but <maybe>. go on. <laughs> um, and then there are other mods uh, like gameplay and balance mods. Uh, those are you know like uh, big, maybe big scale mods, maybe small scale mods that like change specific properties of certain things. Like you can give an enemy ninety nine hit points or zero hit points or whatever else. Um, and then there are gameplay game revamps where like you take a game and you like make something almost completely different from it based off of the original game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you've heard of Project M before, it's a uh, Super Smash Brothers Brawl mod to make it more like Super Smash Brothers Melee. Uh, that's an example of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are community patches, which are interesting because like they're just patches that actually make the game work on PC, which should have been done by the developers probably, but like here we right. are. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and like a lot of a lot of uh, newer PC ports have like community patches, like Near Automata or Monster Hunter. Skyrim also has one. Mm-hmm. So that game is gigantic, and they wouldn't have been able to get all the bugs in there. So the community did it for them. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Um, and so like these are the like the 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 way I listed this is I I think the, about the difficulty in which it is to like make these things because <laughs> uh, like yeah when you're like really literally building a game from an older game. Uh, that's 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 real complicated stuff. Yeah. Well, okay. So you're talking about the, the the easiest thing to do is to replace assets. Yes. And I I remember when I was modding Quake back mm-hmm. in the day, and the thing about it was really you just you just you just find it in your folder yeah. structure and replace it. Like yeah, you literally. Just it is do so that. easy. Mm-hmm. But like that is only as a result of games starting in the '90s that had the, that structure that were not compiled into the binary. Yeah. Right. Where it actually was just out in the open on your hard drive. Mm-hmm. And um, I think like Doom was probably maybe the first most successful like uh, uh, expa- like expansion of of, of modding. Yeah, uh, it, using those sort of uh, easier to access stuff. Right. I think they intended like I think they fully expected that to happen. Mm. It was um, uh, John Carmack is very much a, a believer in like open openness, and so sure. I think that was built into the way that the, that game was architected. Okay, um, are there do, like what was the what was the earliest thing you got into like? Uh, for modding? Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Skyrim. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't been modding for that long. I mean, I've been modding a lot during yeah. the time I've been doing it, and it's been two or three years at this point. But uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was largely Skyrim. I'm sure I like, maybe downloaded a mod and edited it here or there, but yeah. like, it wasn't like a serious thing or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, just, you know, making things more what I wanted in the game. Right. Um, nowadays with, with texture mods and stuff like that, there are tools that are specifically used to like inject themselves into the game and they sure. replace certain textures yeah, instead yeah. of like you having to replace it. But like all you have to do is download the tool and just have it up when you play the game. Right. So and it's pretty simple. And all that really, it just shortcuts the process of like unzipping an archive, yeah. digging through and finding whatever it's, you know, right, like, yeah, yeah. it just makes the tedium a little less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So like those, that's, that's how we're doing it nowadays, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that like I mainly I, I mainly uh, modded Skyrim when mm-hmm. I started. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, Skyrim's not that old, but Skyrim's pretty old now. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like eight years old. No, eight older than 
dad. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's real old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, in terms of like actually being able to mod things, uh, it's pretty difficult because you have to get into other people's code and figure out how the heck it works. And like, uh, I code games and I know that like I'm coding stuff specifically for me and barely anybody else can read it, my code half the time. So <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure it out, out like being outside, outsider looking in and trying to figure it out so you could put your own things in there is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are specific games that are like designed so that like modding is really easy. So Skyrim is an example, but like Torchlight or um, The Witcher, aren't a lot of large open world games um, have modding Witcher. tools. <laughs> yes, <laughs> have modding tools um, available so that like you can much more easily get into the code and make your own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a lot of that like the configuration is stored in like JSON or XML files or something, or is it like decompiling DLLs and stuff? They yeah, uh, they have with Skyrim specifically, like they have their own uh, file systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they just give you the tools to open the file systems and adjust the file systems. Okay, okay. Um, I'm not exactly sure how other ones do it. A lot of them actually will, yeah, they'll have like allow you to make your own packers or something. Mm-hmm. And then you could build your own assets and then put those, replace what they have with your own assets and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, it varies game to game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I imagine it's not, if, if you do it from the beginning of your process, I imagine it's not too difficult to like actually add modding support. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not done that for any of the games I've worked on, but like that would be pretty cool, right? Yeah. Vengeance mods. Ooh. <laughs> uh, yes, 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 well, that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a game with numbers. Like you could put a lot of that configuration out. Are you, are you using scriptable objects? Uh, for some things, that? but not, not for numbers. Yeah, that might require a huge revamp, but like mm-hmm. having that all accessible and then making that just plain text for people to monkey with yeah that'd be fun that would be pretty fun mm-hmm. yeah I, I i would be really excited to see like what would happen if we modded it like we could mod uh clawbreaker or have people mod clawbreaker and see what they would come up with they'd make hermit crabs for us oh yeah <laughs> oh my gosh yeah mm-hmm. that would be really hype all the people would come up to us and be like oh my god you know what this game needs <laughs> <laughs> it's true somebody would somebody said they wanted a dog in the game for some reason because there's a gif of a dog like trying to play with a crab and the crab's like, what? No, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> yeah, that's right. why you do this. <laughs> I was like, we could have a dog as a final boss or something. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, aside from that though, like you have to download tools specifically designed to like insert uh, textures and whatever else into your games. Mm-hmm. Um, they're and like, they're not hard to come by. Uh, you just have to know how to use them. And there are a lot of tutorials out there and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, available for you to figure that out if you're interested. Yeah. Um, there's also the te- cheat engine, which uh, like it accesses specific values in the code that you can change. Mm-hmm. So like you can change like, the the website itself specifically says it's useful for single player games, but people. Don't so this is a tool, the generic tool. It is a generic tool. You can mm-hmm. use it for everything, and I think you like literally build scripts that you use to that you open up and start up when the game is running, and it'll just change the values for you. Oh, so it's a game genie. Uh, yeah, kind of. Right. It it runs. It changes code at runtime. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. That is what it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. um. Yeah. It's really cool. Uh. Because like if if like this game is too easy for you or too hard for you, you can adjust the values to make it as difficult or not difficult as you want. Mm-hmm. Um. Which is really cool. And you can also use it to like. Oftentimes you can use it to swap models or whatever else that are already in the game. Like if you want to play as, I don't know, uh, uh an orc. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can already play as an orc in Skyrim. A troll. <laughs> I want to play as Luigi in Skyrim. Hey, yeah, there are plenty. Is there a Luigi? There should be a Luigi mod. Somebody get on that if there isn't already. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, so like there are plenty of options available to mod things in mm-hmm. particular. Uh, and it's, uh, I find it really enjoyable to mod things largely because like you get to create your own game sort of. Mm-hmm. That's why I really like Skyrim in particular because it's like a huge triple, triple A open world game and you can build basically if you get into modding, you can build your own thing with it. You can yeah. basically make your own game. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of like huge mods for Skyrim that effectively make new games or even like add-ons to Skyrim uh, that uh, add so much depth to the game. And it's, yeah. really, it's really awesome that like that there's such a big community out there for it. It's really exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. You haven't played Skyrim until you've played Skyrim as Master Chief, who also has dishonored powers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so also with mods, uh, there are a lot of different, I guess, controversies related to it because like, Dun dun dun! <laughs> this is, your modding controversies section is huge. <laughs> yeah, I have a whole story that I kind of want to get into. Maybe it's probably going to be like a fifteen-minute long thing. I don't. All know. right, <laughs> buckle up. Yeah, buckle up for sure. Um, yeah, but so there's there's a lot of different things. Uh, like for example, uh, Bethesda in particular is very often trying to profit off of the, their mod the mods that people make because like so many people mod their games and they build support for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bethesda's trying to get a piece of that pie uh, and uh, the community oftentimes is not having it <laughs> I was say what pie like who, is well, there a lot of sales there's just tools? no there's no sales so yeah. the thing about modding is uh, very like everybody uh, thinks that it should be like free for everybody mm-hmm. available because yeah. like people are just doing it on their own time they're not getting paid to do it right that's the spirit of it it goes yeah. way back yeah 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 um, but like, because there's so much content going out there and there's so many popular mods and things like Skyrim wants a piece of that Skyrim, yep. Bethesda wants a piece <laughs> of that. Um, and so like, uh, the case, uh, I think this was, this must've been at least five years ago. I think Bethesda had tried to, um, sell certain mods, mm-hmm. like, like get people to get their mods like on their sales or something. Right. Like with like an app store model. Yes. Like a yeah, 30 something like or that. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the community was just outraged about yeah. it because like, nobody wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, uh, there was this, this icon called, called it had forever free on it. And for the longest time, I didn't know about the controversy enough when I was modding it for the longest time. I thought it was a company or a group of modders or something. Right. I didn't understand what it was, but it's just an icon that says that this, this mod will always be free no matter what. Yeah. Like they're not going to, uh, Bethesda's not going to get into their pockets, right? Um, and so that was a that was a big controversy back then. But now uh, Bethesda has changed it, so like they're specifically hiring mods to build content for them, and then they sell that on their own, right? Which is a different thing because like, as like a DLC, just a standard, right? Thing. Yeah. So like they're selling, they're hiring people to make stuff for them, which is right. I think is a lot better. That seems yeah. yeah that seems like a more sort of uh, ethical approach. Yeah, and sure. uh, people are uh, much more supportive of it. Yeah. There's a particular mod called the because it is professional work. Yeah, it, to a, to an extent. Yeah, yeah. If they're gonna pay for it, it's got to be because they're getting a, a job and not because they're doing it for funsies. Otherwise, it ruins it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. Um, there's a particular mod, the survival mode. I think it basically takes Skyrim and uh, it adds like the Fall Room Four survival or the uh, Fallout Four survival mod stuff. Where like you have to sleep after a certain time and eat and drink and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. um, and it's pretty popular. There are a lot of mods that like specifically are supported with that yeah. mod in mind. So yeah, that's working a lot better for them. 
So there's this like cross-pollinization of different ideas mm-hmm. in these things. I think that's the problem I have with it, there being like a marketplace for them. Yeah. Is that it's really hard to then divvy like who actually is responsible for this product. Yeah. Right? Because it is, it's the, you know, it's, there's so many things people give away and share with each other and someone decides to sell for $3. It's like, is that fair? Right. Yeah. Right? I think that was a lot of it. Um, And like, it also gets into a little bit about like how people feel about like mod ownership. Yeah. Because when you create a mod, uh, you would think that you own it. Um, but there are different, like, I guess schools of thought with this, in this, uh, aspect, there's the cathedral thought and then the, the parlor kinds of thought, uh, cathedral is that like everybody contributes to a mod in which case, like everybody will put their little assets in or whatever else or support or whatever it is. Um, and so whenever somebody makes a mod, like it should be open for everyone. You can't really, you can't take your contributions back mm-hmm. because, uh, they, uh, that's not how it works. Like you, you put this thing in here for this. Like if you were building a cathedral and you built uh, stained glass windows for it, you can't all of a sudden say, "Hey, no, those stained glass windows are mine. I'm taking them back." It's not how it works because right. it's part of the the whole. Yeah. Um. And so as a result, uh, if you believe in cathedral style modding, then like you you you're building something together. Mm-hmm. Which I like that idea personally too. Yeah. I think that like that's a that makes more sense personally. But uh, there's also the parlor mod idea where like you're opening up your mod to other people so they can see it and uh experience it um but at any moment you can say uh that you can close it off to people and prevent others uh from looking at it if, or using it if mm-hmm. they want like so that as a result you have creative control over that mod yeah and so on the other hand these are basically mapped pretty well to different open source licenses right yeah <laughs> yeah actually <laughs> like modern- mit versus apache versus whatever yes right? I don't know a lot about open source mod licenses, but that does sound very similar. There are literally licenses and mods like yep. this. So, uh, and they'll, they'll follow these ideals. Hmm. Um, another thing, another controversy that uh, oftentimes will come up in uh, these kinds of things is like mod ownership, specifically like you're taking content that game developers made and you're making your own things with it. Right. Um, and oftentimes when it's like model swaps or, or texture swaps or whatever else, those are like minor things. Um, and that's those, a lot of people don't feel too bad about that or feel strongly about that. Yeah. But when you're taking a game and you're making a completely different game out of it, um, that's when it causes, that's when it causes controversy. So for example, project M in particular, uh, is a brawl mod, like I, I brought up before. Um, and, uh, it was really popular cause people can't get over melee. <laughs> um, and so, uh, like they had tournaments and stuff with this mod in mind and they, they were, it was starting to build a really big scene. And I think it was. It was starting to dwarf Brawl's com- competitive scene for a, a moment. Which was already not that It big. was pretty small, yeah. yeah. Um, and Nintendo noticed that. And uh, it was, I think they were trying to be nice about it. And they like weren't specifically saying, we don't support this at all. But like they, they kind of shut down the community in a way. Yeah. Uh, like big by like specifically, like not, uh, they just, they didn't support it. They didn't officially support it. And they kind of started taking down project M tournaments i believe mm-hmm. um and so now that that games that that mods community is all but dead because people have moved on and they're playing the new smash games mm-hmm. um which are nintendo supported as much as nintendo supports fighting games right uh and so it's it you know it it, it was unfortunate because a lot of people really like that mod mm-hmm. but it was it just wasn't sustainable for them so like this this comes up um a lot oftentimes a large largely because of nintendo but uh, <laughs> well, you talked about how like uh, different people contributing to a mod yes. have to decide amongst themselves who, who how their what their ownership model is. But that's completely apart from 
the bulk of the project, which right. which is this the company, and it it tends to you tend not to put those percentages next to each other, right? Yeah. So like you know you make a total conversion of a game, mm-hmm. and you you know like and a bunch of people contributed, but you don't when you really sit back, you're like, well, is this seventy percent my work and thirty percent the original companies, or yeah. is it ninety percent? The original game and ten percent me, and it's like I don't think that people think in those terms. Yeah, when, when they're modding, yeah, because it's not really necessary to think in those terms. But mm-hmm. when it comes to these elements of like, well, if you put on public tournaments, it's like, well, then it kind of becomes a copyright violation, right? Right. Yeah. Like as much as Nintendo gets, you know, um, uh, bagged on for it being overly litigious mm-hmm. about protecting its IP, because um, it much more than most Western companies are. Mm-hmm. Um, it they do have a point. Yeah, like they, it, it's like they have the right to control their work, right? And uh, to an extent, yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe they're not the best about how they handle that, but like it's it, it's coming at it from different philosophies. We're just considering different things, mm-hmm. you know? Right? Yeah, and I think, and in fact, I think like uh, the Project M tournament started getting shut down because like Nintendo was starting starting to make their own Smash tournaments. And I think they yeah. probably just didn't want uh, Project M infringing on that right, part right. of it too. Like I don't think they cared that much before because like they don't care about tournaments. Yeah, there they didn't. Now they're starting <laughs> to run. Now they're starting to run their own and stuff. Yeah. And so it's it's like an iffy section of the game development. Yeah. Well, if anyone wants to run a Clawbreaker tournament, go for it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mod the heck out of it yeah. if you can. Uh, I I bet that like Unity games aren't too difficult to mod because there's a lot of Unity games out there now. Yeah. Y'all figure it out. Let me know. <laughs> Send me your mods. Uh, and then uh, we brought up before like mod licensing. So there's this role playing mod that I used to get on Skyrim uh, called Requiem. Uh, it is it like changes Skyrim to make it way more difficult, and it makes it so that like when you get unlocked perks and stuff, it's way more important than like leveling up. Uh, it is it's pretty it's a very popular mod for Skyrim, um, and it only officially works on the. 32-bit version of Skyrim, which is the um, the legendary edition, as opposed to the special edition, which is the one I use now. Um, at any rate, uh, one of the modders who who works on this mod uh, created a separate mod for Requiem because, like, he uh, it, uh, they didn't particularly care for how it was how some of the things were balanced. I think like they changed some of the uh, the armor stats and stuff. Uh-huh. Really specific things that sure. are boring. Uh, <laughs> But um, they modded the mod. Yeah, they modded the mod exactly. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that modders, uh, some of that that work was starting to get put into Requiem itself because a lot of people really liked it. And I think the the creator, uh, because they were working in team, their creator of the the mod, the, the person who owned it, claimed mm-hmm. ownership of it, uh, was working with them, and they liked that that it was uh, like these particular aspects. Sure. Um, and so uh, that that work was going to be in. Included into a particular popular update for Workroom, uh, Workroom 2.0, I think. Uh, I can't remember all the specifics of it, but yeah. Um, meanwhile, there was another user who was really interested in having this mod on the 64-bit of Skyrim, the 64-bit version of Skyrim, the special edition version, and they noticed that somebody post posted a conversion for the 32-bit under the 64-bit version of Skyrim, um, and. Uh, on a, like a separate forum, mm-hmm. um, and then the the owner got wind of that and, and demanded that it was ter- took taken down. He, uh, they were more of the like the parlor mod kind yeah. of idea, so like they wanted complete ownership of the of the, the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 modder of the the mod mod person uh-huh. uh, noticed that and was not having that, and then changed the licensing of the of 
their mod so that like it stated that like you can have this mod in your game as long as anybody can have mods in your game and can mod this mod. Um, and because they had put Wait, in... They tried to change the license of the thing they added to? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's yeah. pretty sneaky, sis. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. Like, like okay, so yeah, they, they specifically changed the mod and they retroactively did it. Um, yeah. And specifically, they did it right before like the big update was going to come out. Okay. So like they... Uh, Designed to cause... Ma- it was basically it was a statement. Yeah. Sure. Right, right. Yeah. So they held the, the update uh, for ransom until the, the owner either changed their ways or just decided to move on and remove the person right and like they had to build it themselves but it would delay the mod for a couple of months yeah yeah yeah. um or the update yeah um and so uh that ended up they ended up just kicking that person off the team mm-hmm. um and and then they had to uh re-update or they had to build the mod again and then they built it and now they're on rec room 2.0 but like uh it was a big whole controversy in that yeah. community for a while it was it was really interesting to read up on it i'm gonna see if i can maybe find a uh a, a write-up on it i had i yeah. uh put in the notes that there's a, uh, a battlefields battlefield history of you know, <laughs> yeah news from the front right yeah um, yeah there's there's like uh, I'll, I'll find some notes for y'all to, to look at and see what was up with that um, but yeah basically it's, it was these two like competing ideas for mod ownership um, in in one scenario mm-hmm. here that I, I thought was really interesting hmm. uh, that like yeah yeah it was uh, it was fascinating to see yeah. it unfold. But I have since moved from away from that mod, anyways, because it changes too many things, and I, I didn't like all of that. I like having more control over the, the game itself, mm-hmm. so I moved on. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, it's interesting you, you talk about like yeah. these ownership battles are totally irrespective of any commercial value that any of this has, because right. no one was selling anything. Yeah, no one's selling right? anything, and nobody expected them to sell it. It almost it, it sometimes it when you when you're not making any money mm-hmm. your principles are all you have yeah so this person who is like this is a thing i made yeah. that i brought people onto to contribute to mm-hmm. it's mine mm-hmm. is a perfectly reasonable right. position yeah. and then the person who says i'm contributing and in the spirit of sharing and 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 you know to this thing you're working on right it also a perfectly reasonable yeah. position. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's why I, I like that so much. Like they're that. not even in conflict. They're not mm-hmm. even two ideologies. Mm-hmm. Like you could feel one way about one thing you do and another thing on another thing you do, mm-hmm. but like, but it's going to clash. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it was, it was great. Um, actually though, with mods, there are like donation systems and stuff. People have sure. Patreons and are almost effectively full-time modders and they build mods okay. specifically for like Skyrim or Tor- maybe not Torchlight, but other things like that. Yeah. Um, which is kind of weird, right? But like, it's all donation based. So right, like, right. people are like, they're giving them money so that they can keep making more mods for them. And right. Change the game. That gets a little sticky because, you know, then the consumer in that situation who's paying, what they think they're paying for is not what they're technically paying for. Right. And so those, those licensing situations do not acknowledge the consumer intent. Yeah. And so the relationship is not, uh, is not as, as known mm-hmm. and that can lead to trouble. Right. And also like, in some of these Patreons, there are like, uh, Patreon exclusive content where like other people cannot have access to it, right? Uh, which and how is that enforced? Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, probably not a lot of DRM systems being built in the model. No, <laughs> no. Um, it's basically just like locked behind Patreon system. Sure. So, uh, and I guess anybody can like just up- upload the zip or whatever somewhere else. Yeah, if they wanted to. Um, so, Mark, you said you had some experience with modding. Yeah, um, I uh, did a lot of stuff with Quake. Okay. Uh, and Quake Two, yeah, um, back in the late '90s, and it, it sounded like you largely replaced like models and stuff. Um, initially, yeah, but there's two things that I really loved about 
doing that. One was level design stuff okay. because um, there were a lot of tools that were released uh, by third parties for that. Yeah. And I think we've talked about this in a previous episode because I remember I dug up some images of these um, these Quake mods that were commercial that you would go to an electronics boutique and, and buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had just the worst box art in history. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> um, and so there was a secondary market for a lot of this stuff because id Software really support, like they just had this spirit of like, here's a platform, go ahead. I don't think there was even any I don't think they even considered licensing. They licensed the brand, right? Mm-hmm. So they like trademarks and stuff they yeah. would license. But I don't think they took any actual cut. I should look into that. I, just, I, don't, I don't know that for certain. But I remember being very permissive. Um, and, um, and so a lot of, so I had like a level editor that I bought at a bookstore, like for Quake. Huh. Um, and uh, I think this was just before internet distribution was, was super feasible, sure. frankly. Yeah. It was, yeah. I don't think it cost that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I would do a lot, a lot of level editing, and that was a lot of fun. And you can build whole campaigns um, there wasn't a ton of like uh, code stuff, but one of the things I really liked doing and it required some command line compiley stuff mm-hmm. was um, doing um, uh, cinematics. Oh, um, which is sort of interesting because now that I w- when I make games, I'm not that interested in cutscenes mm-hmm. as a, as a developer. Mm-hmm. Like they're uh, you know I'm not going to not include them in games of mine, but they don't. Like they don't seem to be. I'm not excited about making sure, them. Sure, but that I was like way into that. Like making movies in Quake and like um, again, I think we talked about this in Sevzo because it's all coming back to me. But like um, we talked about like Red versus Blue. That the, oh yeah, and uh, before that was a, a, a long running series of of Quake uh, movies. Oh, uh, and that's where that tradition comes mm-hmm. from. And uh, like just tons. You know, you think of like YouTube comedy, like just someone telling jokes with their friends. In a way that is not like uh, uh, sort of uh, sanctioned by gatekeepers, suddenly becomes popular because enough people like it. And then you have these weird sort of cultural niches that are formed out of just people's random imaginations. And there is a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like uh, you know, it, it became inside jokes that more people were just part of. And it was a cool. It was a very cool community. Yeah. And and it was definitely where a lot of you know I developed a little some of my filmmaker and editing chops mm-hmm. uh, uh, doing that back in the day. Yeah, that's cool. Like yeah. I, I've heard a lot of. Uh, uh, modders like have gotten hired by the developers of the games. Oh yeah, specifically because they made this content and they were very impressed. And a lot of times when you're working with some of these tools, you're working on a very specific part of a project, mm-hmm. which is something that makes you hireable. Yeah, yeah, right? it totally does. <laughs> um, but I used to do um, stuff with um, well with, with Quake. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about it, and the reason I brought up the cinematic stuff is that when I started modding, I stopped playing that game. Ah, yeah. Uh, because it became more about creation and stuff. Oh, and yeah. And so, so when, it's interesting when you talk about, because y- your position in the modding community is that you, you follow it and you use these tools, and you're, but you're a player. Yes. Right? You, you use the tools to mod your copy of the game. Yes. You don't develop mods. Mostly, yeah. Because you develop games. Yeah, That's, yeah. that's where you scratch <laughs> that itch, right? right? <laughs> um, and, but then I, I'd be really curious to talk to some of the, more higher profile cre- mod creators mm-hmm. and find out what is their relationship with the game itself. Yeah. You know, because I remember just when I was creating things, I had just, I lost all interest in playing the game because mm-hmm. it did. That's not what it was about anymore. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but the other one was, uh, is missed online, which oh, I've talked okay. about on the show before. They um, had a very uh, uh, um, uh, fraught relationship with modding because um, in the storyline of missed, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, someone writes a book and then that describes a world, which the theory is in the in universe that either you're creating the world or you're describing something that exists somewhere mm-hmm. with your imagination. And then you can travel to that world. So it's perfectly suited for modding mm-hmm. right? as it, it, an in-universe example. Yeah. And so, and, um, but because it's a created universe with lore, right. you can't just let anyone 
add to it. Oh, and so it was yeah. a very, they tried, you know, it was a lot of things that was very interesting. And I was involved in that community for a long time um, as those tools were being developed mm-hmm. and making stuff in Blender and writing Python scripts, mm-hmm. um, which was not fun. Because <laughs> <laughs> that engine was pretty old by the time we got our hands on it. Yeah. Um, but that was really cool. But that really fizzled out because it never found, it never, it never really knew what it was. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, whereas like like a community around Skyrim or like Rain World, there's a couple of these other high profile modding right. communities. Like they they have an identity, yeah, and they and that really lets them thrive, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and like they're specifically like the the developers support it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And I think that's a lot of it. And there's and deciding what that identity is mm-hmm. is a is a shared responsibility, right? Right. That's that's where it didn't work with Mist Online is because there couldn't be a full agreement between the creators and the 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 players on what it should be mm-hmm. and that's really no one's fault i think that 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 property just had too much potential but it, it there wasn't there's no, there wasn't really a perfect solution for it sure you know yeah yeah I, we have a few people uh in our community who mod pretty frequently we yeah we try to get them on the, the show and see mm-hmm. what they think it's a good idea yeah aren't the have you done mods before um i mean i haven't made any but i have used like uh stardew valley um at first, they couldn't do the fishing very well, and so someone had made a easier fishing mod. Well, there's easy, there's easier fishing mod, and then the easiest fishing mod. <laughs> One made it so you didn't have to do any mini game at all. Basically, the fish always stayed at the bottom, and so you just. So I didn't do that one because I was like, I still want to play the game. So I just I got the one that the, the easier fishing mod, which was just. Um, uh, it made the fish go up and down less, so okay. so you could follow it easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that was that was. Uh, that game looks like it would be pretty easy to make mods for because yeah. like everything you go in the, in the folder structure and everything is labeled like really clearly. It's like <laughs> fishing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like fishing dot JS or not JS, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so like you just swap the file out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one is Minecraft has got like a oh, huge yeah. Right, yeah. mod community. And also now Microsoft has taken its cut and having like a bunch of, um, <laughs> Yeah. mods on like especially on the switch you can you can buy mm. texture packs mm. and stuff like right. that oh yeah and those are those are community created um i think they were originally and then they like were like they like they bought the rights to it or something something like so or like they did i have to do more i have no idea yeah i'd do more <laughs> research but i thought i think it's like oh these things are popular we'll make something I, similar to I them i think you can play as like mario and luigi and and the Switch version of Minecraft, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I'm actually really curious to see who is it that developed that. Yeah, because <laughs> like Nintendo will frequently let other people use its its characters to create content for their things, but it's a very strict process. And yeah. like it, M- Minecraft being a Microsoft property is such a weird example because it's on everything, right? Mm-hmm. And it like supports crossplay, and it's like right. it's so strange. Yeah, and and, and yeah, has that a, a lot of uh, Nintendo content in the Switch version, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a whole. I think there's a whole lot. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, and you can mod games on consoles now. There's you couldn't you couldn't do that before. Sure. Uh, I have not explored that at all. I just do it on PC. Yeah, like uh, Xbox but, is leading the way on that, right? Uh yes, that is. So you can, I think you can also mod like specifically Skyrim on PS4. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Xbox I think is the best version for modding yeah. stuff at. Uh, and like they have, like I think uh, Bethesda like uh, spearheaded something to like allow people access to it in like Skyrim or Fallout 4. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like people can just download mods on there and stuff. Um, and I think it uses fairly similar tools to how it is on PC, but there are some limitations. Like you sure. can't use external uh, software to like uh, change stuff. Right. There's everything is sandboxed right. on a console. So mm-hmm. there's whatever 
yeah, whatever needs to be limited by that. Yeah, yeah. But otherwise, yeah, like yeah. it's great that it's way more accessible to people, and they can make and people can make their games the way they want them to make yeah. it. Martha, there, there's got to uh, be like mods for Borderlands, right? Oh, probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Have you just not been interested? Is Borderlands in just too perfect to, to bother <laughs> modding? Like, right. uh, yeah, <laughs> it's perfect just the way it is. Okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah, you know, my brother is like vehemently against modding, mm-hmm. and I'm sure I'll hear it if he when he hears this topic. But like, he never wants to mod his games ever. Uh, and like, I can understand like if you want to get the vanilla experience and then. Uh, and then like mod it, but he just never wants to the touch vanilla it. experience. That's what they call it. Is like of course vanilla Skyrim when you don't mod things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Martha, I interrupted you a minute ago. You oh, want to yeah. say something? Oh yeah. Well, there was I was watching some YouTube videos, and there's this one person who made uh, uh, like vegetarian Minecraft mod, and so like there were way more types of plants and like way more cooking options and stuff like that, and um, like the she made lots of new textures and stuff mm-hmm. um, for all, like there was cattails and all these really cool plant plants and stuff because like that's all you could eat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of your brother, yeah. um, uh, he has a, a level editor in, in, Hyperdot. in Hyperdot. That's true. Um, and I, th- it's interesting uh, like if he doesn't want to mod any of the games and you know, I mean, I have a history with it, but like mm-hmm. I can't, I haven't had that urge in a long, sure. long time. Um, so I kind of I sympathize with him. Yeah. Um, but like wanting to put tools in your own work, mm-hmm. so that's a that's a different itch to scratch. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Because like I think uh, a lot of indie developers probably want like their community to be able to add content to their games. And right. Stuff and build it's another way to engage. Want. Right. Yeah. 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 And so like that that would be really cool to have. But like I think you need to do that from. Uh, you need to like spend a lot of time doing it either from the beginning where it's easier to do it or like just you know spend several months making a level editor or whatever for yeah games. or just cross your fingers and hope that someone will decompile, decompile your game and sure. figure it out that is an option you know too, which is yeah. also yeah but <laughs> i think things are so easy that like people probably have less I, maybe i'm assuming but mm-hmm. i think people have less patience for that these days sure um I believe that i don't know for metro nexus i think i've talked about this before like the different art styles in the game i've always wanted to i've always I, i've wrestled with how to because it seems like a perfect opportunity for um, like a Steam Workshop thing, mm-hmm. where it's just you can upload your own. Mm-hmm. And um, but at the same time, I kind of want to have control over that. Yeah. Right. Like I, I, I'm, I'm more of the, I'm more of the, it's mine kind sure. of opinion, right? <laughs> and um, and so I've thought about it, but uh, it requires some technical changes because a lot of those uh, texture assets are compiled the way I, with architecturally the way I build Metro Nexus, mm-hmm. a lot of them are um, are embedded directly into the the binary runtime. Right. And uh, I need to separate that out, and that's not a, that's not a it's not a huge change. It's not a tiny change mm-hmm. in the way my game works. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like it's one of those things just in your back of your mind all the right. time. Like, how can I make this a little easier? And what decisions am I making now that lock me off from making it a little easier later or something? Mm-hmm. You know? And how how useful would it be to anybody? And therefore, how much effort is it really worth? Yeah. Right. Because you know? it's not an easy task. A lot of the time. right. You said to develop sometimes a separate separate tool chain mm-hmm. that's apart from your game. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like we got to need to make games, not develop software. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Martha, what mods would you like for Clawbreaker? Clawbreaker? Yeah. Oh, I mean, more crabs. More crabs. Color right. swaps. Yeah. Um, Like, maybe someone could put in a single player for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mod some AI into the game. Yeah. yeah. That'd be great. Uh, you were talking at the party about having different types of crabs with different, like, different types of claws, different skills. Make it a class-based. Yeah. More like a traditional fighting game. 
And uh, but the balance requirements would just be a lot. But letting a community do that would be really cool. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, they can make their own patches for hermit that. crabs, spider crabs. Yeah, those crabs with one big claw and one little claw. Yeah, I really like that too. Oh, I wonder if we could get like the different fighting game archetypes in the clawbreaker. We can have like a grappler claw crab. No, no, don't worry about archetypes. Aww. Design your own. Like, ah, yeah, <laughs> I guess we could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. We'll set the new standard. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> new yeah, don't make it like game. every other fighting game. Oh, but I like every other fighting game. Well, the thing that's nice about Clawbreaker is like it's when, very when you lose a claw, then suddenly it the, the, like the way you control area is so different. Yeah. Yeah. And it's conditional and yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm, I'm very glad that it came out the way that it did. Like it's, it's, it came out very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even when I was sitting there in the, uh, playing in the tournament, being all salty, that's what I was thinking <laughs> of, is those kinds of strategies. Yep, yep. <laughs> Available on Steam and Itch, everybody. Go buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mark. <laughs> um, speaking of Clawbreaker. Uh-huh. So we, uh, we self-published it? Yes, uh-huh. that was where I was going with it, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. You delivered better than I would have. <laughs> we need to compare notes before the show, guys. <laughs> so we can get this right. Right, yes. Uh, so this is my topic. Uh, it's, uh, we tried to come up with some titles for this. Uh, so this might not be exactly what you're expecting, but self-publishing must-haves. And so uh, Clawbreaker is out. Yes. And Widget Satchel, we just put, um, it was a couple weeks ago, but we put up all the Steam and Itch uh, preview pages. Yeah. And, um, and I talked uh, in a, a recent episode about preparing a lot of assets for console pitches and so i think a lot of this just i have just like piles of assets now mm-hmm. for widget satchel and it's true of clawbreaker as well i imagine and so i thought i might want to just go through some of those because it was actually kind of it took a while to like develop that list of things and yeah. now it's kind of just floating in my head so it'd be nice just to get it out so yeah. this is not going to be exhaustive but it's basically just an idea of like outside of your game itself like when it's time to get it out there like um and this is not this is not a PR thing or, a, or, or marketing exactly. Right. That's a, a bigger topic that we'll address later, I think. Um, this is really just like what you need in your, on your hard drive to publish a game. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, because people, yeah, they need to know what the game is and stuff. Yeah. Like, as otherwise, they'll just see the title of the thing and go, oh, that's a nice title and mm-hmm. then avoid it. Or even not, like, they just, yeah, they, yeah, you can't see it. So, like, yeah, you just, gotta see it. <laughs> just these the little things that you didn't think you needed to do until you someone you realized you had to do them. Yeah. So this is just a quick overview of those. Mm-hmm. Um, the main thing, like the main thing, is key art. Mm. And so key art is a term that usually just means like if you see like um, it's like an icon or a banner or like um, sometimes box art makes sense. It's sort of like the you know I always think of that um, that image of one of the Overwatch characters who's like twisting around like a pretzel and shooting a gun backwards or something or like doing a flying kick. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and I see that image all the time. And uh-huh. I, I, I know almost no other Overwatch art, but I know that game because of that key image, right? And so that's something you want to develop for your, your game. And it's going to really depend on the genre, what is useful for that. If it's char- you know, a character, is it a, a setting, like a nice vista that shows the world? Is it, uh, if it's a mechanical game, do you want some sort of metaphor or I- I- uh, uh, iconography? Uh, to represent it, even if it's not specifically game art. Um, sometimes you can use game art, sometimes you use concept art. Yeah. But the thing is, is you're going to need this stuff because you're going to have to make dozens of different versions yeah. of banners yes. and uh, headers and, 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 like Im- and like cover images. All different sizes. Yeah, and so many more yeah. than you need. And like just Steam alone requires you to make, I think, like 15 different versions or something yeah, of a banner. Yeah, I think that's accurate, right? At like yeah. very specific dimensions. Uh-huh. And they're all really random ratios. Uh. 
Because Steam does not have his act together. <laughs> like, I think that's the reason. It's like, come on, Steam. Haven't you heard of responsive? Yeah. For real. <laughs> like, you know, you can crop some of this stuff or you can do half sizes or whatever. But like they have these crazy dimensions. Anyway, you're going to need a lot of this. And so it's the, the way I approached it for Widget Satchel is um, using reusable assets. So what you really want to do is you want to have and, you know, if, if, you're, if you're the artist on the team, this will be your job. And if you're not, then you need to be over that person's shoulder and make it their job. Mm-hmm. Um, it, basically to take a lot of these things and basically make clip art out of all your game assets, yes. right? Um, or like uh, color forms, you know, like little things, you, uh, little vinyl pieces you slap on a piece of cardboard. <laughs> yeah. Like, and think of it that way. And then what you do is you take those pieces and you compose a scene. And then you're like, okay, this, this banner image is, you know, 600 by 400 or whatever. And that's a round number. You're never going to get those. Mm-hmm. It's going to be some random thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so I'm going to arrange it in such a way. It's slightly landscape oriented. So I'm going to do this and like the title uh, you know, the, the the logo type of your game is over here in the corner, whatever. Okay, now I need this other one. Oh, it's vertically oriented. Well, now all of this doesn't work, but it's all made of pieces, right? Okay. You don't need to complete new art for this. You can just reorient a little bit. And what's nice about that too is that then you have a sort of a key art template. Like you've seen this a lot where you see like, um, uh, this probably dates me, but like a magazine ad for a video game. Like mm-hmm. it looks kind of like the box art. Oh, yeah. But like, not exactly like the box art. Mm-hmm. It's because they just use that that process. They just took all those things and just slid them around until they fit in that box. Yeah. And so um, this isn't like a huge revelation, but like when you start having those things and are able to make a different thing very quickly, you'll really appreciate how valuable that is. And a lot of times people will, will think of this kind of idea and they'll be like, oh, I just need like a logo and then I can put the logo anywhere. Yeah. And that's not it at all. No. You, need, you need like a bunch of different things that you can rearrange and then right. and recontextualize for what you need it for. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you want key art that does not have your logo in it, right? Yeah. Or, or your logo type, because where it's going to appear is going to be right next to something that has the title. And yeah, and like things need to take up a certain amount of space. And because there are so many different kinds of like sizes and shapes that like people have things on their websites or whatever, yeah. like you're going to need different pieces in different places to make that all make sense. Exactly right. Yeah. And um, a, a lot of these Steam examples, um, the, all these different sizes, mm-hmm. they have very, they, they'll describe to you exactly where they go, what the context is, so you can design for that. But sometimes you'll be designing elements that have, will appear in multiple contexts. So you have to think right. a little bit about that. Yeah. And so you want a sort of a flexible kind of uh, uh, system. And you just want, yeah, you just want like one file that has all the parts mm-hmm. that you can then rearrange and export to whatever you need it whenever you need it. Um, it can, it, the startup cost of that is a little high depending on how you how you do your art and how you export all those pieces and how easily they are to separate from each other and actually orient. Um, but you, and, but you want a strong composition. So I think what I recommend is picks like, um, like a generic sort of banner size, like 800 by 600 or something, and then build something with that and that, that size. And then what will happen is as you do more of these little things, they pop up, you'll, they'll get a little better and then you'll backport some of your like little uh, improvements to some of the earlier ones yeah. you did. Um, and so that, that then that forms the basis of like everything, like mm-hmm. the art on your website, the art on your store page. Like, you know, if you, you know, when you do make like an icon for switch, you know, and that those need to be a little bit more than like a, a, a like a phone icon thing. They t- yeah. players want more of a, of, of key art for that. Yeah. All that stuff can all be built out of the same parts. Right. Um, so I can't like, I'm like really stressing it because I think, I don't think a lot of people, I think people are flummoxed by that process. When they have just so many assets to create, it actually isn't that hard if you sort of prepare a little bit. Yeah. Um, anyway, so there's that. You also are going to need an icon, which is different from that, obviously. Yes. Although if you're making just a PC game, it doesn't matter because all PC game icons are terrible. <laughs> like 
Yeah, <laughs> there's, kinda. they're they're, they're still tiny. They're straight garbage mm. because people just launch their games from Steam yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and you know that makes me a little bit upset that no one cares. But like, no, no one cares. So yeah. as long as it's fine and people will like not confuse it for something else, you're fine. Mm-hmm. That said, uh, you should put more effort into it because you know you have respect for yourself for crying out loud. Um, oh. And maybe to stand out and from other games, maybe people will play them more often. True, true. <laughs> Positive spin. But on the other hand, you're making a mobile game. That icon is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. The most important yes. thing. Um, and it's outside the scope of this uh, topic to really give you a lot of advice on what makes a good icon. But there's tons of resources online right. uh, for you know the do's and don'ts of that kind of stuff. Um, like for example, you want. I think I think the the main thing you want is a guy with a mustache yelling and looking to the right, right? Isn't that what yep. you want in yeah, an icon? Yeah, the upper right corner. Yep, ah. that's what you want in all your icons. Yep. So just follow those rules and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, seriously, though, like that's something that like matters a lot. Like the, yep. it, it reproducing the different sizes and scales. And there's, there's tons of resources online for that. So um, that's not, yeah, again, it's a lot outside the topic here, but it is important, especially if you're on mobile. But I think take it seriously no matter where you're publishing, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing in this category is uh, GIFs. Uh, you want to have a little animated uh, uh, doodads. Oh uh, yeah. And so um, you, it's really easy to overdo these. Um, That's yeah. true. <laughs> uh, but I think, um, you know, good advice I've heard and, and that I've seen in good places is on like, a, like on a Steam store page. You want like one nice uh, GIF that sort of shows off your game, but doesn't do the job of a trailer. Right? Yeah. It doesn't have to show everything. It just has to be a little t- attention grabby. Shows a cool moment or something. Exactly. And the one we have on Widget Satchel, I'm pretty happy with, which it's... Um, it's very short and wide, so it's like a little. It's a, it is it almost looks like a, a banner ad uh, like that, and so it's not too um, ostentatious. It doesn't take up too much space on the page, but it just shows the game in action. It like it maybe will have the user stick on the page for a couple more seconds and then get hooked by the rest of it. Yeah, uh, is is the aim. Yeah, um, you don't want to have all your screenshots be animated, for example, because right. that's not doing you any favors, really. Um, but speaking of screenshots, you're gonna need a lot of those. And uh, um, the way, uh, uh, this is something you get advice from when you go through Steam, but I think it's true everywhere, is that you want screenshots that are legitimate screenshots. You don't want concept art or mock-ups or anything like that. Because the screenshots are not just to sell your game, they're actually a sample of your product. Mm -hmm. And and players will notice if you just assemble the cool moment rather than actually capture it. Mm. Um, That said also, um, screenshots can be boring. It's like, okay. Um, but you do want a good range of the experience of your game. You yeah. want it to be a very honest assessment of what it's like to play the game. So if you have a bunch of really cool character cutscenes, but that represents 5% of your, of your experience, you don't want all of your screenshots to be from your cinematics, even if yeah. they're the best looking parts of your yeah. game. You want it to be more representative. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the guideline I'll recommend is like m- get 10 good ones, but you're not going to need 10 every time you need to post a bunch of screenshots. Mm-hmm. Um, more than 10 is probably more than you need. Um, but 10 is a good number because then you can assess them and then you can take the best six or seven and put them on your Steam page or whatever. Yeah. Um, and make sure you've got a good variety. Yeah. Um, show off the gameplay. Um, yes. uh, you know, and very important. And hi- uh, highlight mechanics mm-hmm. uh, that, are, that are unique about your game. Um, if you're making a tactics game, then you want sort of a general, like, this is what a standard screenshot looks like. Yeah. That's sort of generic. But then you also want to showcase, this is what's un- the unique mechanic in my tactics game. Right. You want to show that off so it yeah. doesn't just feel generic. Yeah, you want to give the full picture. If your game has multiplayer, make sure you show more than one player in the game yeah. so people know that it's a multiplayer game. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, also, it's probably obvious, but don't like take a picture of your settings that's not useful. yes uh, <laughs> main menus right. stuff like that even if you're proud of that stuff and like yeah. th- I'm I'm a person who's proud of that stuff yeah no one cares so, yeah not, I mean, not in the screen not in the context in which they're viewing your screenshots yeah, yeah. 
Um, you know, that said, if your game is, you know, has a ton of customizable settings, if it's like a, you know, like a, a war game simulator mm-hmm. uh, where you design your own scenarios, mm-hmm. then maybe that would, the UX of it is an interesting screenshot. Yeah. So it's all depends on what your, I, that's your game true, is. That's true. That's true. You might want to think about, if it's like a really hype thing in your game, you might want to think about putting it in the description somewhere and highlighting that. Yeah. Yeah. Really and that cool. becomes a feature you're highlighting. So mm-hmm. it just fits the, the, the same rules. It's not even an exception to the rule. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's good. Um, uh, I think it's, it is very tempting to find the one screenshot that shows off the whole game. Mm-hmm. I think that can be a little crazy making. Um, if you've got that, you know, bully for you. But um, I think it's better to have a, an arrangement because people click through them. Um, and I think that's the that's the experience people generally have when they, yeah. when they do these things. Or if they're laid out on a website, for example, um, you know, you're, six is probably too many if you're on a single page website. But like three it could get a good range of your exp- yeah. the experience of your game. Yeah. The first um, thing I do when I look at a game is look at the screenshots because it totally takes too long to get to yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get through. So I'm like, oh, does this game look cool? Yeah. It does. I'll watch the trailer. It's also a really good time to assess like you know your art style and the the assets you have, mm-hmm. and especially if you're doing this work before your game is finished, which yeah. is probably what you should do, and then revise it when you know it's fin- it is finished. Um, it's a good time to take stock and like role play a little bit as the customer and like would this get me to play this game is the thing that's great about my game because you know there's something great about your game or else you wouldn't be working on it mm-hmm. is that thing being communicated through these screenshots yeah and if not why not is it because it's like oh my HUD isn't uh, showing really well here and like oh well, maybe when someone's playing the game it won't be as well either and then you know that'll lead you to some, some, some insights or like oh the art style really isn't selling what I need we need some polish here or there or whatever or I can't quite get a sh- screenshot of that really cool action, oh, because it happens too quick and there's not enough visual indicators. Mm-hmm. Like the, the reason you can't get a good screenshot is actually a reason, something to change about your game yeah. in a case. Um, it's easy to misinterpret that kind of information as you're assessing it, um, but take it seriously and make it part of your process. And the earlier you do it, the more help it can be to you. Um, so yeah, uh, next thing is a trailer. So yes. that you're definitely going to need. Yeah. Um, the rule here is uh, no longer than a minute. Um, yeah, I think it's I've uh, this is I tell this to people making films and making anything and I think people have heard it a million times but some people have not heard it mm-hmm. um, not enough it not it needs to be less than 60 seconds yeah. if you can get it to 30 seconds even better um, because truthfully there's it, you when you make it you're going to insist that it needs to be longer than 30 seconds mm-hmm. and you're probably going to be right in a sense but at the same time there. 30 seconds is all that a, someone needs to make the determination. Right. You're not going to know exactly what to put in there, which means your thing is going to be closer to 45 or 60 seconds. Fine. People are okay with that too. Mm-hmm. But um, you, nothing needs more than 30 seconds to, to get the gist of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so make it that short. If you don't have video editing experience, um, there's, uh, you know, uh, get someone to help you. Um, also, you don't have to worry about, now as, speaking as a video editor, mm-hmm. like I can say, the quality of your edit is maybe the third or fourth most important thing about mm, your trailer. Okay. Um, particularly on Steam, when, on, a, on a store, right? You're, you're thinking about like maybe I'm uh, do some pre-roll ads on YouTube. Well, then that's a different story. But if you're doing um, you know, a, a gameplay trailer or something, um, really, you just got to get immediately to, this is just screenshots in video form. And it really isn't much more complicated than that. You show off the game, quick shots, um, as quick as you can make them while still getting the full context of the moment that you're trying to capture. So you can have a lot of them, um, but also not too many, right? Uh, Focus on what your game is unique at and don't bother showing things that the player knows just by looking at your first screenshot. Um, You don't need to, even if there's a cool element of your game, if it's not unique or also if that that impression can be given by the other materials, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the trailer. Yeah. Um, the other thing is you're going to want to do on-screen text instead of voiceover. 
um, because a lot of people watch these things on mobile with the sound off. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, that sometimes can be a bummer, but also it's cheaper, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But that means that you do, might want to put a little more effort into, um, you know, animated text and design and some of that. And that, you know, that sometimes can be outside of a lot of people's experience. Um, but it is important, um, it, you know, maybe not exciting for people to hear if it's like, I spent all this time breaking my back making a game. Now I have to produce a slick video trailer. <laughs> you kind of yeah. do. Yeah. Um, uh, nature of the world <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, uh, but even if you're not going to do uh, voiceover stuff uh, 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 I think uh, having the sound effects in your game really showed off and having some good music I think is important mm -hmm. I think people um, you know they'll judge a book by, by its cover and even if your game isn't very music heavy um, you want something that the, the trailer is either the trailer shows the music of the game off right and that's an important part of it so like when we did the trailer for Widget Satchel Sarah made us a specific song from pieces of her score. Mm -hmm. And so we were, we were lucky in that sense that we had something that had the feel of selling the game, but also was components that were of the game, right? And that's going to be true for a lot of games. Yeah. But there are some that don't have that for because the design choices they made didn't lend to that. Yeah. Not necessarily because they didn't have a lot of great music or don't have Sarah on their team. Um, true. Uh, although that is a... That is a handicap. That is a handicap, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you're going to want to have something good. And there is a couple of ways to get some good um, sort of like uh, um, theatrical score kind of music that's uh, royalty free. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of um, audio editing tools uh, have um, like uh, track builders in them that use a lot of uh, the royalty free samples. Mm -hmm. Adobe Audition has this. Um, and there's a couple of others. I'll see if I can put a link or two in the notes. Um, it's, you know, it's not going to be the, you know, it's, it's not like you're hiring Jerry Goldsmith or, yeah. or uh, Hans Zimmer or anybody, but um, it can sometimes get you a little bit what you need yeah. if your game doesn't have the content to, to do that. Yeah, there's that, what's it, Kevin McLeod person whose music is like everywhere. Mm -hmm. That one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you just go there. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh, yeah. I'm thinking of a lot of the, like, like the sort of constructing it, but yeah. you can also just go and find yeah. music you can use for that's free. Fine too. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, treat it with a critical eye. Don't find the first or second or third thing if it works. Mm -hmm. um, even though you're already sort of uh, taking the second option by not making your own music. Um, you're still putting together an artistic statement. And so uh, take it seriously. And, you know, if it's royalty-free stuff, see, chop it up a little bit. See if you can make modifications if you need to to, to, to give it some uh, some oomph for your presentation. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, uh, 30 seconds is kind of, 30 to 60 seconds, that's the, that's the rule. Yeah, and, don't make it too long because if you make it too long, then just nobody's going to watch it. Also, and like, I think we were sort of touching on it, but the thing that a lot of people, the mistake a lot of people make is the, the coming soon. Get ready. You'd never seen this. Da, 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 da. Like, yeah. no, no, no. You waste no time. With... Just immediately show, like, here's the game. Here's what it looks like. Yeah. You know? Um, that's what you need to do. Yeah. We, we, uh, when we made trailers for Fingence, uh, initially we used to make, we had like a whole thing that showed off Escape Industries and stuff. Yeah. And I think it was like five seconds or something, and it mm -hmm. was way too long. Yeah. I, I think we still have a little intro in it, but it's like a second, and it comes in, Escape Industries goes away, and then there's gameplay right away. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and um, music really helps a lot with the pacing for this sort of thing. Yeah. Like, you know, you want to have, um, you know, like you do still want to have that ramp up mm -hmm. in a sense, but it can only be a couple of seconds. Yeah. But the difference between a four second lead in and a 12 second lead in is like the difference between like some, you know, half the people watching and how they have moving on. Right. Mm -hmm. But you have music, you can actually hook people and get them to go on. So like there's a lot you can do. And if you don't have the assets or the tools to put together something like that, it puts more onus on you to get there quicker and to be sort of no nonsense, just the facts. The worst thing you can do is uh, make something that's beyond your capabilities, mm. right? 
Um, and uh, that I don't know how cruel of that is, but like you think of like, you know, when someone makes like green screen in their backyard, like that can lead to some really fun, cool stuff. Yeah. But you can't make Star Wars doing that. Right. But and so if you try to, it's going to look worse. But if you try to make something in the scope of what you've got and you're if you're a game developer, you know all about scope. And yeah. How, and, and, and how not to follow it. Probably. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. so you, you, you'll be familiar with this idea. So, um, you know, uh, know what your limitations are for a lot of these things. And this includes things like key art, too. Like, you know, if your game is very minimalist design, but you need a lot of this stuff. Well, uh, you know, think about what you can do and be creative about how you can use the limitations that you have. And that's definitely particularly true of the trailer because it's outside the wheelhouse of a lot of people who are making their games if they have nowhere to, you know, to get it off to or to hire someone to make. Uh, that said, if you're part of a game dev community, you're going to have like half a dozen video people who are aching to work with you on something. Um, so yeah. a- ask around and make some friends because that can be really valuable and, and, friends are good. and get you a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, ask people who you don't expect and like, Oh yeah, I have a little experience with that. You know, like, Oh, I edited my sister's wedding video or whatever. Like, you know, cobble together some knowledge and some experience. Uh, it isn't as uh, onerous as it can appear to some people. Um, okay. Store page copy. So this is the texture writing. So this is like, I think everybody's nightmare when they talk about marketing or social media or like how, what, your elevator pitch or yeah. whatever. Um, I think what's nice about, and I'm, I'm putting these in this order when I'm talking about these things, because this is kind of the order in which you should work on this stuff, um, at least in my, in my opinion. Because the more you think about your key art, the more assets you'll have for you know, putting in your trailer, right? If you want to animate you know, logos or, or, or you're going to need a, like, a little a piece at the end for that. So you, you'll have that already because mm-hmm. you did the key art. Right? Right. And then as you do that, you're doing the trailer and that's based on this visual stuff, but also you're trying to sell the game really shortly. So like you're probably going to be thinking of like coming up with like one line phrases to put on a screen because you can't fit more than 15 words on a screen and even that's too many, right? Yeah. Um, so you're, you're really close now to coming up with your, your hook, your, your slogan, the first thing you say, the one line description of your game. And prior to working on any of that stuff, You've been thinking about your mechanics and, and your design mm-hmm. and thinking about how in your game, this is what's most unique about it. But then that's, that's talking about your game technically. So we had this with Widget Satchel, where oh, Widget yeah. Satchel's main mechanic, uh, main unique mechanic, is that the collectibles have weight. Mm-hmm. So that the more you collect, the slower you move and the, 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 the shorter your jumps are. Right. That's an interesting mechanic, but it is not how we're selling this game. We're selling it based on the, the style and the, we're, the, the slogan we have is... Uh, uh, Get get widgets, build doohickeys, cause mischief. Yes, right. It's a it, it's evocative. It makes you want to know what the next thing is. It doesn't describe the mechanic to you because the mechanic described is super boring. Right, uh, <laughs> and almost like yeah, nobody wants to like be punished for catch, collecting things. Right, it doesn't so, sound. It fun. doesn't sound fun. It, yeah, it is. It is engaging mm-hmm. and it is fun, mm-hmm. but that's not what is the hook is, right? And that's the difference between like what will keep people playing your game, what people will love about your game when they recommend it to friends, and what got them to play it when they saw your store page. That's a totally different concept, and the sooner you can get that in your mind. And when you start working on these little bits and bobs, you start thinking of your game in the context of someone who's never seen it before. So you'll be better positioned to write this copy. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's been my experience. I hope that works out for, for you guys as well. Uh, out there, um, what else I got on this thing here? So this, you want the hook, you want the the the, the one line description. You do want to be thinking like a marketer, but you don't want to be thinking too much like a marketer. You want that one line, you want that opening two sentences paragraph, and then the rest of it, you want it to be like a movie plot review style description of your game. You want to, you don't want to get into too, into the weeds, but you also want to uh, do for the the reader what your trailer does, which is. Show the game off, right? This is 
this is what you do in this game. This is your goal. This is rather than being like the, you know, uh, we, we worked for five years to develop this great graphic system and it's going to blow you away. It's like people have heard that, but they don't believe you. Right. If that is interesting information. That's something you might want to tell an interviewer. Right. Or put it in a separate page of your website. Yeah. Or something like that. Uh, but really, when you, someone's looking at the store page, they just they just want to know what your game is about. They want to know how it works. And, you know, you want to zazz that up a little bit. You want to sell the game, of course. But you want to, you really want to be honestly describe what it's like to play your game. And so um, I think that's the difference between other types of marketing copy, I think. Um, you can be a little bit more in-depth with the mechanical descriptions, but not so much. What's nice about when you're doing a Steam page is that Steam will cut off your, your page after a while with, behind a read more button. Oh. And so uh, that's a good uh, indicator of if it's too long. Did, did we hit that? We have a lot of gifts in ours. We did? Yeah. I think so. Oh. <laughs> well, I can look. Uh, Widget Satchel has that where if you click the read more, it after that is like the, um, the, bu- the final bullet points. Mm-hmm. So I, um, th- this is just my opinion, but I think that, that if you can get it shorter than the read more and you get everything you need there, great. That's cool. But I think people do want, if they're interested, they will read more, right? right? That's what it's for. Um, And so, but you don't want to have like more than 25% of your content below the fold. Mm. We we don't have uh, it cut off. Well, congrats. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't have any empirical data on this. That's just my feeling about, you know, how how much people are able to put up with. And again, like the trailer, it only needs to be 30 to 60 seconds. Your description you can explain what your game is relatively quickly. And the things you don't reveal, you can hint at without describing fully. Um, because again, the, the person who's looking at it, the question they're asking is, do I want to know more and experience more about this game? It, the question isn't, tell me everything about your game. Right. Because right? Uh, if they want to know more, experience more, that's when they buy your game mm-hmm. to, to, to get that. Um, or you know, read your online documentation if it comes to it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, okay, so... Uh, next bit is your website. So now that you've got all these pieces together and you've spent a long time hammering at what the right noun is and verb to use in this slogan and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. you've got all your key art, you've made a trailer, you've, you know, you got, you've also made different versions of your key art, you have all these different assets, you've got everything you need to make a website in an afternoon now, yeah. um, without having to bother with like starting from scratch. Yeah, just take all that stuff and put it in a word space or square press oh, or whatever press. it's called. <laughs> Brilliant. Those are, that's official. <laughs> I don't make websites. <laughs> uh, exactly right. So Martha did a topic a while back on websites for your games. Uh, so we won't get too in-depth here. Um, we'll just we'll put a link to that episode. And you should listen to it. It's pretty interesting. Um, but basically, um, just a WordPress site. Pretty easy. Um, uh, the, we, we've got uh, Martha had great advice in that episode on the step-by-step of what you need to do. So go listen to that uh, to get all of that. But basically, you want a brochure. Basically, you want a one-page yeah. thing. Um, and you don't want more because truthfully, not a lot of people are going to be coming to your product through your website, but you want it there for the people who do or for if you do get some press, you know, some people are going to not want to link to a Steam page, right? Because of their policies or whatever. So you're going to want to have a home base for, for that kind of stuff. Um, the other thing you'll want on your website is uh, your press kit. So um, this is basically just the clean, bare bones information about your game and your company. Now, this is something a lot of people forget about. Because, um, and we talked about a little bit about this when we were talking to Holly about media relations, where um, when you try to pitch someone on, on your thing, they're like, okay, I'm excited, but I have no information about you. I just have your, your, your pitch, right? Like, I don't know, uh, you know what your company is, where you're based, how long you've been working on this game, the things that would be interesting to engage with, right? 
Um, or like what platforms is this game on? Like that, maybe that's not something you you do in the marketing push immediately, but you want all that information in a clean, easy to read place. And a, a digital press kit is a way to do that. It's basically a website that's a little more boring and a lot less visually interesting. Um, and uh, there's a great tool called Do Press Kit, which is written like a, a function. It's press kit, open, close parentheses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's dopresskit.com, I think. I don't know. We'll put the link in the show uh, notes. Yeah, we'll have a link. Um, uh, uh, Vlambeer made this tool mm-hmm. a long time ago, and it's just an open source. Uh, it's a PHP script, basically. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I was going to say it's a PHP or JavaScript. And then you, and then you edit. There's like a XML file that you. Edit. It's pretty easy to, even if you don't know code very well, you yeah. can look at it and be like, oh, this is where I put in the name of my game, and then you hit run, and then it makes it for you. Yeah, and it, um, it, it's also, and you've made your your ten screenshots. You put them in your press kit mm-hmm. because the thing, and you want uh, high quality ones because then the press can take those screenshots. They don't need to ask you for them. You, right. get, you put your trailer in there, all the particular things, um, contact, uh, Twitter, all that stuff is available. If you want to put your phone number, if that's something you're willing to put out online. Again, this isn't something that's necessarily public facing, but it is a public part of your website. A lot of times people will put the link to their press kit, which is like a, it ends up living as like a subsite on, on your, on your, your website. They'll put the link just on their homepage because sometimes it's the easiest. You just want to make it easy to find really. Um, so yeah, we'll put that link in there as well. Um, and you know, again, you've you've already spent all the time. You've got all these pieces, so it's really just putting together these things. That's why you want to do them roughly in this order. <sighs> okay, two more things before I get done with this this topic. Uh, first is community. So yeah, um, it, uh, these are the two things that are a little bit out, outside the scope of the of the this topic, but I wanted to touch on a bit. Um, when you uh, you're on Steam, you get a forum if you want. I think mm-hmm. you can disable it. Okay, um, and that's a place where you can build your community. Um, I know um, uh, Andy uh, Korth has talked about how easy it was just to have that available. Yeah. And that that's how uh, he is managing the community for Verdant Skies. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a really good thing. I've heard advice from uh, Mike Rose of No More Robots, the publisher um, that just put out uh, Not Tonight, uh, that really cool uh, Brexit game. Um, and uh, his advice is uh, uh, have a Discord server. Uh, apparently, uh, the way he says it, it's the cheapest, easiest way to build a community quickly. Um, you need all of an icon <laughs> to, to get it set up. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty easy, um, and um, uh, uh, gamers are familiar with it. It's it's a you know it's an easy way to go. And if you don't have your Steam so, uh, set up yet, or maybe you're not launching on Steam and you don't have a there's not a built in community tool for you, mm-hmm. uh, Discord is a really great option. Um, so uh, those are the two things that are quick and easy. Um, you're going to want to moderate that stuff, of course. But in terms of just getting it started, uh, again, you've already got all the assets you need to make whatever icons or stuff you need for that. Uh, and again, it's uh, uh, there's you know there's other other ways to learn more about that stuff. And you should actually listen to our episodes on community management and media relations, both with Holly Harrison. Um, we can put the links to those in the show notes as well. Um, she has a ton of really good information on on like uh, sort of like best practices on how to get started being in that headspace. Mm-hmm. Um, again, a little bit outside this topic, but uh, but something to think about as you start building your presence and putting these things together. Last thing is social media. Um, this is, again, we're not, we're not going to talk about like how best social media strategy, but um, you're going to want to have assets, um, uh, not just for icons and banners and stuff, but like to actually publish and actually uh, deliver content. We talk a lot on the show about um, like game dev Twitter, like yeah. you know, having uh, 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 screenshots and GIFs of your work in progress. Um, for indie games, it's really valuable, and it's also the quickest way to develop to like have content to publish. Um, uh, but again, you know what your how your what your rate of publishing that is 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 really up to everybody. And one of the things I like to to say is 
you want to have a great Twitter presence and you want to be really on the ball, but like you're busy making your game. Yeah. So what that's going to mean is you do not have time for this. So again, just like you don't want to make Star Wars in your backyard, you do not want to launch a social media strategy unless you have time for it. And so, um, you know, it's a question of like, do I make a, um, a Twitter account for my game to promote my game or do I make one for my company, um, whether it's officially, you know, incorporated or not, uh, your, 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 your game dev label, or if it's just you as a solo game dev, your personal Twitter is also fine uh, if you are comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, but I think it is, I mean, it, like we, ha- we have a separate Twitter account for Knights Games Club and uh, even with three of us on the ball, it's like not easy to keep up on. Right. Right. Um, and it's, and, and really the, de- the demands on it are not that high, but we always feel like we should be doing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, map that to your situation. If you're a solo game dev or a small team and someone's in charge of the Twitter account for your game and is also working on the game, you know, uh, 10 to 40 hours a week. Yeah. Like it's, you know, be realistic. Yeah. You know? Really just, I think if you just make it easy for yourself, mm-hmm. like don't expect to tweet about things all the time, but yeah. like if some funny glitch happens, maybe Make a GIF of that really quick. Yeah, and take you, a minute or two. Use the game dev uh, hashtags while you're developing. Yeah, um, you know because that could be a source of 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 um, of like uh, we talk about on the show like sort of personal validation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really a marketing tool yet until later. But if the you know if you in the end if you have to promote your game on your personal Twitter because that's the account you have on your phone, it's the one you monitor, and that's the easiest way. It's maybe not ideal, mm. but like if that's how you can make it work, like don't try to overextend yourself. Yeah. Well, like. Um, I know Ooblets, um, those developers specifically decided like we're going to do it on our own because mm-hmm. they had more followers and they didn't have want to have to build up another follower yeah, base and right. it actually proved way like a better strategy for them to choose their personal accounts because they had already had a following there. Right, right. Yeah, that's a really that's a excellent point. Like it's it yeah building that up is is the job. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, man. and if you already have one, then it's might actually be the best strategy for you. Right, and if your following is just like you know, a couple of dozen or a couple of hundred people, that's still a following. That's mm-hmm. more than your 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 uh, your game account has. So, right. especially if you're not going to be tending to it as much as your personal one. So, you know, there's trade offs. Like, well, you know, if you're if you're particularly active on Twitter in a particular issue or another hobby that is going to conflict with that message, then like then you got to think about well. Maybe I change what I talk about when you have like this time for this or whatever. And you come or you just be like, you know what? People can deal with my other thoughts, yeah. you know, um, it's, it's going to be up to you how to handle that. But again, just just like with the other things, like don't overextend yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's the key for all this stuff. It's like these are just the must haves, like the assets you need. Um, and as long as you sort of plan a little bit, you know, it won't be so daunting. Yeah. Um, and I think the main thing, the main advice I have that I, that I have learned is the order in which you do these things. I feel pretty strongly about that because it worked really well for Widget Satchel. It took me a long time to do it, but every step was easier than the last. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that will help you as well. That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We really need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. You can also email us at contact at nicegames.club. Lastly, you can find more about the show, your nice hosts, as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice.
So Steven's out of the room. We can talk about Star Trek. <laughs> um, so opinion about the new Picard thing. I'm real excited. I'm also not, I'm expecting to hate a lot about it. But just yeah. because it's a new thing and it's a new thing, right? Yeah. I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it'll be good. Also, I just hope they do it justice. Yeah. I, I, it's weird they announced it as a Picard show. Like, it's not like Picard is the most expensive of those actors. Like, why not just make it a next gen revival? Like, yeah. Like, how expensive is, you know, Kate McFadden these days? Like, I don't know. Oh, did you know? Did I tell you this? That she was the um, choreographer for Labyrinth? Oh, yeah. I knew that. Yeah. Oh. Well, I just found a video of her, like, choreographing for puppets and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, that's amazing. Oh, Isn't my cool? God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's why in that episode where, you know, where she teaches Data to dance, it's because that's one of the actor's talents like yeah well i know she did tap dancing oh, but okay. i didn't know i didn't know that she also did like actual like you know choreography is different from actually oh, knowing sure. how to dance yeah yeah yeah. Okay. oh steven's back <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about star trek oh. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.